And he rose up from that grave My God still rolling stones away There's joy in the house of the Lord There's joy in the house of the Lord today people said amen the story of his love for everyone he has filled our hearts with wonder so that we always remember you and i are made to worship you and i are called to love you and i are forgiven and free from God that we receive brought to life we open up our eyes to 
see the majesty and glory of the King. For He has filled our hearts with wonder, so that we always declaring his praise and his holiness and his goodness resting in the fact that we are forgiven and free amen church I love that that song said what I was about to talk about that this is this is something God has purposed from the beginning of time that in him that we would have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins that God pours out so graciously through his understanding and wisdom this was his plan all along. And maybe, maybe you have questions because of that, and that's okay, because God's big enough for your questions. But may we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek truth in the right place to find the answers. Because his plan all along has been Jesus. Jesus, to show us Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, that we get to walk forward in freedom. Let us not lose sight of this as we continue to sing, church. This is who we are, a forgiven people, free. Let's declare it as we continue singing. The life you gave, your body was broken, your love poured out. You bled and you died for me there on the cross. You breathed your last as you were crucified. You gave it all for me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 
Sacrificed, yet he gave it all for me. Hallelujah, what a savior! Hallelujah, what a friend! Hallelujah, King forever. Thank you for the cross. But on that day, it seemed as the darkest hour of morning hope, it broke through and shone. are scarlet you have made me white as snow and though my sins are scarlet you have made me white as snow the 
Though my sins are scarlet, you have made me white as snow. You have made me white as snow. Transform. 
Father, as we sing those words this morning, those are the words of our prayer this morning. That, Lord, in everything that we are, in everything that we do, in everything that we want to be, that you would be magnified in us today. Father, in our joy and our praise of you, may you be magnified in us today. Lord, in the things that cause us hurt, in the things that cause us grief, Lord, in the things that are, are difficult, may you be magnified today. So that, Lord, whoever we encounter today would see you and not us. And that, Lord, you would shine through in all that we are and in all that we do. Thank you so much for the time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity to praise you. Thank you for the opportunity to stand shoulder to shoulder with people who we know love you and who we know love us. We are a church family today. We're here as individuals, but we're here as a body. And so, Lord, continue to speak to us today as a body and as individuals. May each of us gain what you want us to take from this time and this place today. May we gain what you want us to take from time together with each other. Lord, may the blessings that you've already poured out on us continue, continue to pour out on us today. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do and for all that we are because of that. It's in your name we pray. We are glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Great to see some faces that have come to worship with their moms. I know that means a lot to your mothers. And that's a special day. We talk about those that have nurtured and poured into our lives. But um, we also acknowledge for some, it'll be a challenging day. Maybe you're not able to be with your mother, or your mother's passed away, or maybe you want to be a mother and have not yet had that dream fulfilled in your life, or perhaps uh, maybe mom wasn't who she should have been in your life. So this, this brings mixed emotions, and we want you to know that we recognize and see that, that the good and uh, the not-so-good uh, struggles that this day might bring. But we do celebrate the opportunity, what a mom should be, and what a gift that is to be um, a mother. Each one of us had people pour into our lives, so that motherly influence, maybe perhaps in nothing else look to that as an opportunity for us to celebrate today 
We have several this year in our churches, their first Mother's Day. That in itself is very special. And one has brought their little first with us to this morning. And Blake and Briley, I don't know if you'd be willing to stand and show off your, your new one today. I know Grandma and Great Grandma is holding on to Carson at the moment, but we just want to celebrate God's goodness and how, how God's been with him these early days. Let's celebrate with him today. Thank you for bringing him this morning. Not so loud. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Okay, but very good. Thank you guys for coming this morning, being a part of service. I know what, a, what a blessing that is to, to see what God's doing in your lives and his life. And we have some more coming up. We have a baby shower again, I think, tomorrow night here at our church uh, for, for Christina Gates. And just another opportunity for us to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. And we just thank you. Thank the mothers in our lives today that have meant so much to us. That one in our life that has helped us get to the place where we're at this morning. And we're going to continue our conversation. For someone who understands dirty work, it's moms. Uh, They get it. Now, many years ago when I was, before ministry, uh, I was working out of town for the company that I was currently employed by. And I was down in, in, um, in Georgia uh, a little bit south of Atlanta, and I had to do a little bit of traveling with this job. Didn't, didn't like it, but it was part of it. And the company had a policy, though, if you were on the road for uh, up, up to three weeks at a time without going home, their policy was they had to fly you home on the weekend, or they would fly your spouse to where you were. It was kind of a, a nice uh, benefit, if you were. And I'd been in Georgia for going on now my third week, and we had two little girls at the time. My life has changed a lot since then, hasn't it? And we had some friends in Georgia, so my wife, um, I talked about flying down and spending the weekend with me in Georgia. We'd go visit some friends, and I had to buy a ticket for my daughters, and Brianna was so little she could ride uh, on Amy's lap. Um, all of them, they were still in car seats, and, and Brianna was still in a carrier. So it was a much different uh, chapter in our lives, but then Amy flew down, we spent the weekend together. And to fly back home, we had an early morning flight on a, on a Sunday morning. I think it was Sunday morning, maybe Monday morning. It really doesn't matter, but on the way to the airport... In this rental car that I wasn't really familiar with, I ran out of gas. Oh, boy. So, of course, uh, at the time, the only shoes I had with me were my steel-toed shoes. We were working in the factory in the plant and doing product development. So I'm running up this hill. Not There's quite a few hills in Georgia. Unfortunately, the car ran out of gas going uphill. So I had to run up the hill to the next exit. And Fortunately, a police officer saw me. Highway Patrol picked me up and took me back to my car. I got it gassed up. But now I'm looking at the clock, and we're in trouble. Uh, she's, she's just really not going to make her flight. And we're just flying now up the, up the highway. And if you've ever been to Atlanta, it's one of the busiest, biggest airports in, in the world, not just in our country. Um, pull into where I'm supposed to be. I've been there many times because of, of work. I knew where to go. And I pulled up to this garage, and you know, you know there's like this way you're not supposed to turn in the garage, but I turned the wrong way. And, but I got in the garage because there was a spot right there front row, right on the corner. I'm thinking, wow, Lord, that's great. Thank you, Father, for working out that, that parking spot for us. We get in the airport, get through boarding passes before you could even do it all on your phone. You had to actually check in, and we get through security. This one, you could even go through security with your loved ones and see into the gate, and I tell Amy to run because she's at the very last gate in the terminal that we were in. Run as fast as you can. It, it's about time to, for the doors to shut. I take my daughter, Bethany, I put her on top of the suitcase, tilt the suitcase back, I've got the car seat in the other hand, and I'm running down the middle of the concourse, trying to get to the gate, and all these people are in my way. <laughs> They're in my way. They won't move. I needed flashing lights. I needed a siren. I needed to get there quickly. Imagine Home Alone. You've seen the movie where the family is rushing through the airport. That's us. 
People were laughing at the dad carrying one kid in one arm and another in a suitcase, another kid in another arm. I'm just praying that the suitcase doesn't break because, boy, that would be awful in front of all of these witnesses for my daughter to go flying. We're in a hurry. We get to the gate, and they hadn't shut the door yet. Oh, praise the Lord. They let my wife and my daughters through. They got on the plane. I remember just sitting down in the terminal just for a few minutes just trying to catch my breath. Thank you, God, for getting us here in time. It would have been much easier, Lord, if those people hadn't been in my way. Nameless, faceless people that were just bothering me. I needed to get in the garage, and they, there were cars in my way. I wanted to get off the highway, there were cars in the way. All along the, the, this journey to get to where I needed to be, to get my family where they needed to be, there were people in the way. There were obstacles. They were inconvenience. Now, I have to admit, all these many years later, as I'm driving, I still at times will look at people the same way. They're cars that are in my way. Don't they realize where I need to be is really important? Don't they realize that I left five minutes late? That's my fault, not theirs. People sometimes get in our way. They kind of slow us down. We all have some place to be. The problem is when I begin looking at people as obstacles, when they're faceless, they're nameless, and they're just in my way. When that becomes part of my thinking, then I begin to have a harvest problem in my life. We've been talking about Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 30, yeah, 37 through 28. When Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're talking about how that's so true. And everything that we read in Scripture, if it's not for those two commandments, nothing else really matters. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. It's hard for me to love my neighbor when I look at them as obstacles. When I look at them as speed bumps, when I think they're in the way, it's hard for me to love them. We've also been talking about Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. When 37 and 38, Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, send out workers into his field. The harvest is plentiful. And when I see them as obstacles, I don't see a harvest. I see an inconvenience. The lack of harvest is not a people problem. Harvest is still plentiful. The lack of harvest is not a God problem. God is still sending. Lack of harvest is a worker problem. You've been out to eat lately, be it fast food or a sit-down restaurant, you've had to wait longer. The lines are a little bit longer than they used to be, or it takes a little bit longer to get your food than it used to. We kind of sit there and look at our watches, and we're kind of inconvenienced by having to wait. It's frustrating. And the explanation that we're given or perhaps we even see on signs as we pull up to restaurants or go into an establishment is that no one wants to work anymore. Hmm. Is the same true in the church today? Do we, when we exhort this inconvenience that we face, when people are in our way and we quit seeing the harvest as what they truly are, aren't we guilty of saying the same things or being part of of the same problem? Do we want it to work? I'll share with you Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38. But I think for this morning, we're going to take a step back to where we began a few weeks ago in this conversation. 
Verses 35 and 36 are equally important in this conversation. Verse 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You ever been amongst a crowd? You see people? Or are they just kind of in the way? We have become part of the crowd. We're faceless or voiceless. I remember a couple of years ago, I was watching my favorite football team on television. And it, it was the strangest thing. Uh, I, I was watching my favorite college team. I knew we had some students from our church attending that university. And there on the screen, right in the middle, was Levi. Like, boom, there he was. Now, crowd shot of hundreds, thousands of people. And I saw Levi. And I went back later, because you could record the game and go back and watch it. I zoomed in on where it was, and it was him. How in the world, and of all those faces, did I see the one kid from my church who went to that school when I knew who it was? There was Levi. I kind of liken that that's what God wants us to do when we see a crowd. See people. No names. You get excited about the opportunity that we're seeing. I texted his dad right away. He says, you're going to believe this. I just saw your son on TV. Send him a screenshot. It was really kind of fun. Jesus saw the crowd. And he was moved to act. The word compassion in, in this context, he was compelled to do something. It wasn't just that he saw them and felt sorry for them. When did he saw them and was like, oh boy, so sad. They're, they're harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved to do something. He was teaching them. He was proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He was healing among them. He would feed the crowds. When he saw the crowds, he didn't just walk amongst them or try to get through them. He was compelled to do something for them. To them, they were not an inconvenience. They were not an obstacle. Then we took the 37 and 38 again. Ask the Lord of the harvest to not workers into his field. And what Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's telling us today, is this is an invitation to pray. We see a lot of these invitations, all these prayerful encounters, scripture, but we don't recognize them right away as prayer because they're not defined as such. But we define prayer as a conversation that we have with God, a dialogue where we're talking to him and we're listening and as he speaks to us. So Jesus says to us, ask the Lord. What's he telling us to do? Pray. When we pray, we often share with God our requests our burdens, we ask for his intercessions, we ask God to do something for us. So here Jesus kind of turns the tables back to us. He says, ask the Lord. I believe many of us do this. God, I believe you've prayed this prayer. Send workers into your fields. But I wonder, do we ever ask the Lord to send Send me. You ask God to send you? I think all of a sudden the prayer takes on a different tone. It looks a little bit different. Like often what we really mean is God, send someone else. Send anyone else. I'm being obedient. I'm being helpful by praying the prayer. Fill the need. Send the worker. But that's not me that I'm talking about here. 
I was struck by that this week, and it, it really was convicting. And it, it's kind of changed how I approach this idea of prayer and responding to the needs that we have in ministry and in our church and our community. I, I believe that over the years, as we've asked for volunteers to teach Sunday school, for instance, or to serve in different areas of the church, many of you very faithfully have prayed for those needs to be met. But I wonder if we've ever began our prayer with this idea of, Lord, do you want me to fulfill that role? We don't, we don't pray that way because we probably know deep down that maybe we already know the answer. And we don't want to give God the opportunity to say yes. Well, coming up this week, we have an opportunity for us to see our community, to serve and to love them. We have Friday nights uptown coming up this Friday, May 19th. And it's an opportunity for us to look past the crowds and to see our neighbors, to spend some time with them and to get to know their names, to play some games with them, to paint some faces, to smile a little bit, to be a little bit of an encouragement, to be a little bit of hope, to bring a little bit of positivity into our community. We have a lot going on that's good in our community. We get to be a part of that. So I want to present to you an opportunity for workers to step out into the harvest fields. And I would like for you to pray, not that God was in someone else, but that God might send you. I don't know how many volunteers we need. I know we probably still need a few. We might have every slot filled. It doesn't matter. Come amongst the harvest and see faces and get to know names. If you'd like to come and be a part of that, you can check out our church website or Facebook posts, weekly emails. There's information up on the screen for you to check that out. But where you have an opportunity, you can find Emily or you can find Stephanie or myself. But church, here's what I want us to do. We need to stop praying for workers until we're willing to include ourselves in that prayer. Now, that might mean for a season we have fewer workers because, well, our motivations change. Our hearts might need some storing up from God, some reminders because of his faithfulness, the faithfulness of others, the workers that he sent into our lives. We are where we are at currently in our spiritual journey. Begin to change this approach to prayer. How do we begin to put ourselves in a different posture when we ask these questions, when we ask the Lord, there's a discipleship tool out there called the one degree rule. Kind of a degree of caring, if you will. And it's a measure of, of our personal evangelism temperature. And on a scale of one to ten, you're either cold or you're hot. And the truth is we all fall somewhere on this scale. Now this is not about guilt or pressure or comparison. We're not comparing ourselves to the one next to you or beside you or in front of you or behind you. Today, we simply want to take a few moments and identify, have an honest reflection about where we might land on this scale. When it talks about this scale, the question I have for you is, when you see the crowd, do you see faces or do you see obstacles? Do you see people in the way or do you see opportunity? And depending on how you see people is where you're going to land on this scale from 1 to 10. Are you ice cold when it comes to your evangelistic temperature? Are you scalding hot? I mean, you, you just see people and you see their need and you're ready to just jump right in. Again, we're not feeling guilty about opportunities missed. We're not comparing ourselves to the one next to us who may be really good at this and we know that we're not so good at this. Today's a new day. Yesterday is yesterday. Today we begin by identifying where we begin. Do you know a 10? You know someone who's really hot and cares and sees people, sees a need, and, and, and responds to those needs? What defines them? What's different about them? 
The question I have for us today is, once you've found your spot, and my, my, I really believe you've already identified your number. You might be a 2, you might be a 3.5, you might be an 8. You might be a 10. But how do you raise your temperature one degree? One degree. We just want to move it a little bit. We're not trying to jump over the whole scale all at one time. But how today can I increase my evangelist temperature one degree? What steps could I take to make myself care a little bit more? about the crowd, to see people a little bit differently, to recognize the doors God might be opening. Kind of takes me back to Charlie Brown, and you know, he and all of his friends, they had a teacher, but you never got to hear her voice. All you heard was a wah, 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 wah. This faceless character in the story, almost voiceless. You knew she was there, but that's all you knew. What does God need to do to help us Increase our temperature one degree. There's several things we can do. The first one is we pray. We pray for, not just for others, but for ourselves. That we would allow God to move us, to move in us, to help us see people. Second way is time and proximity. We spend time with those that are lost. Not because we have to, maybe because we have the opportunity to. We perhaps would choose to or want to. That proximity to those that are in need help us become more familiar, more comfortable, not as repulsed, if you will, by certain opportunities or perhaps attracted to others. We need to spend time amongst the lost so we can see and understand what they're dealing with, what needs they might actually have that we might be able to speak into. When we become aware of those needs, we then have stories to share, testimonies that we can give. We can speak to God's faithfulness, to his goodness how he's always been there, and how he's always walked with us through these moments. Sharing our stories is a great way to get to know each other, but also helps us relate to one another and find help for each other. You might find help in someone else's story as you share your own, trusting that God has ordained certain interactions, putting you in a place where your story could bring hope and help. When we find those interactions, when we see God answering prayer, when we see him moving in ways that we could not define or or describe or put together on our own, then we celebrate. Wow, Lord, that was pretty neat how you did that. We don't take the credit for ourselves. We give God the glory. That's what we get when we ask the Lord to send us. If he's going to send us to places that he knows that we're needed, that's how good he is. That's how intentional he is. We can also raise our temperature one degree by studying his word. All of his word. The Old Testament, the New Testament, there's one stuff for us to learn in each. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this beautiful story of the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is living in this time where the king of Aram, the Arameans, are starting to kind of be kind of a thorn, if you will, in Israel's side. And they're at war with each other. And the king of Aram is setting up these traps. And every time he sets up a trap, God reveals to Elijah what's about to happen. So Elijah warns the king, and the king is able to avoid the trap. And the king of Aram is starting to get really frustrated because he's like, what's going on here? Who keeps telling everybody what our secrets are? And finally it's revealed to him that there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha, and he keeps telling the king what's about to happen. So the king of Aram sends these, these small raiding parties after Elisha. If I can't get to the king, I'll just get rid of the prophet. Then I'll be able to attack the king. So these, these, these groups are after Elijah. And one particular morning, there's this group outside the walls of, of where Elijah's staying. Elijah's servant gets up, looks outside, sees the armies that have surrounded them. And of course, he gets a little worried. And he runs back to Elijah. He goes, our city's surrounded. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? 
Verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 6, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. As you might, and as I'm sure I would have, the servant's looking around and he's not seeing anybody else. It's just you and I. And and if this group attacks, it's just you. Because I'm out of here. The servant's like, who do you see that I don't see? In verse 17, Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's things around us every day that we can't and don't see because we choose not to. We don't want to. But what might we get to the place in our journey if we want God to raise our temperature one degree where we would pray, Lord, open my eyes so that I may see. The story goes a little bit further. The enemy came down toward him. Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. They didn't even need the chariots of fire or, or, or the army of the Lord around them. God struck the, 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 the raiders with blindness, just as Elijah had asked. So Elijah walks out among them. He says, this is not the road that you're supposed to be on. But if you follow me, I'll take you to where you want to go. Can you see the smile on his face? Of course, they're blind. They're panicked. They, they follow him, and Elijah leads them to Samaria. They entered the city, and Elijah said, Now, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Verse 19, verse 21, I'm sorry. The Lord opened their eyes. They looked and saw where they were. And you see the panic, as now they are the ones who are surrounded. Here's the opportunity. What, and the king, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? They're not kill them, he answers. Would you kill men you've captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. Have dinner with them, is what Elisha says. They're not your enemy. It's an opportunity. We see eyes opened all throughout this story. The eyes of the servant were opened. The, the eyes of, of the raiders from Aram were opened. And even the king's eyes were opened. To see them differently. Church, are we willing to ask God to open our eyes so that we see those around us differently? I know it's easy to get caught up in life. Life is busy. When I was late to the airport, that was my fault that I was late. When we ran out of gas, that was my fault I ran out of gas. So I'm getting mad at others for being in my way, and it's not their fault. It was mine. It's things that I could have done, things that I still can do, that they get in the way that blind me from seeing people the way God wants me to see them. See this invitation that God gives to us. It likens us to the servant in the story. We might feel like we're surrounded. There's no hope. Like, like the enemy, whoever the enemy might be, we, we think it's others, it's not others, it's Satan closing in around us. And we need, we need Elijah's in our life that will speak to us as God open their eyes. Might they see who's really surrounding them? Church, if we would realize the chariots of fire that still surround us today, what might be we, we be willing to do for God if he sends us? Where might we be willing to go and to do for him if we know who it is that surrounds us and who's beside us, who goes with us. I'm afraid that we don't do because we've just made it about us. Seeing then helps us take the next step God asks of us. Seeing enables us to be who God is calling us to be. 
Let me jump to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5 next week, so you can write that down in your Bible. You can mark it in your app, whatever it is that you're using. In verse 13, in Matthew chapter 5, this is kind of the Sermon on the Mount. And I know Pastor Paul shared on this last year, and I kind of did a parallel series at the same time. We went through the, the Beatitudes and all that they teach us is blessed are statements. And after the blessed are statements, then, then Jesus goes right into this next a teaching for us, and it's important for us to understand this. He, he gets to the end of the blessed statement and says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they're going to persecute you. Well, that's good news. Thank Jesus for the invitation. But then he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And that's a pretty powerful statement to the people in this day, because salt was something that was valuable. It was so useful in many different ways. And to be called salt of the earth kind of implied value upon the people that were listening to the message. But Jesus gives us a warning as well. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. It's no longer valuable, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt has to be salty. You've perhaps seen the beach stickers from those who like to, to vacation or, or spend time at the beach. They like the salt life, if you will. It's a great spiritual message. Stay salty. Can have can have a coarse implication as well. If we take it from the spiritual sense, staying salty is a great idea. Several years ago at a district assembly I was, we were at, uh, there was an, an illustration given by one of our, our missionary presidents and she also was a science teacher, so she was using titrimetry. Titrimetry, which I was very familiar with, having been a chemist at one time. And she had on up front two tubes. One tube had hydrochloric acid in it. The other tube had sodium hydroxide in it, which sodium hydroxide is, is very caustic. It's used in cleaners. Um, it's used to make lye soap. I think, think oven cleaner. That's what sodium hydroxide is. Separately, in certain concentrations, these two chemicals can be very dangerous. Hydrochloric acid in one tube, sodium hydroxide in the other. And she's going to mix these two very dangerous chemicals in front of a crowd at district assembly. And you might think, uh-oh, this could really be fun. But the chemist in me was sitting back kind of smiling, like, oh, I don't know where this is going. And I did. I might have been the only one in the room at that time who knew where this was going, but I understood it very clearly, very quickly. Because while separately what's dangerous, when you combine them, something incredible happens. The acid, the hydrochloric acid, and the caustic base, the sodium hydroxide, you're getting a science lesson today, aren't you excited about that? They go through this chemical reaction, and there's changes in their composition. The, the, the hydrogen separates from the chloride and the acid. Then the sodium separates from the oxide, and they trade partners. And then the hydrogen combines with the... the um, <laughs> With the, nitri with the oxide part of, of the sodium hydroxide, and, and the sodium combines with the chloride. Would anyone like to take a drink of what we've made? Anybody? No, no takers? Not a problem. A few of you would. Because what you end up with is H2O, which we know as water, and sodium chloride, which we know as salt. So basically, you would just gargle salt water. That's what you would have ended up with. These, these two harmful chemicals brought together, that's how God works, rearranges things a little bit, you end up with something beneficial, something helpful. We are called to be, not to be salt, we are called salt. We are that flavor that God wants to send out into a flavorless world. My grandmother taught me to gargle with salt water, never really liked it, but it was cleansing, it was purifying. 
There was something beneficial about it. Now, I'm not talking about you gargling salt water out of the ocean. That's a completely different concentration. That's, that's just gross. But salt in the right amount is good for us. It's beneficial. It has a little bit to our food. And it's actually necessary when, when you're talking about water coming in and out of cells. And when you retain water, you often retain water because there's too much sodium. So how do you do that? You have to balance it back out. You drink more water when you're retaining water. It doesn't make sense, but that's how chemically it works. Your system gets flushed. You get back to the level of balance that you're supposed to have. We are salt. We are what brings flavor. We're what brings balance to a world that's out of balance. We're, we're, we're the, the chemical that allows that this permeation, if you will, this, this transport of the nourishments that our cells need in and out of our cells. That's a whole different level of biology. That's a different lesson for a different day. But we need salt in our lives. And Jesus looks to the crowd. This is the very first sermon he's given and he's preached. And what does he begin with? You are the salt of the world. That's an incredibly important takeaway for us this morning. Because in this moment, all around Jesus is a crowd. But he sees each face. He knows each name. He recognizes each need. And he's telling his disciples that are sitting close to him, you are the salt. Look at the need around you. Look at the world that needs the flavor that I can bring. Now, when I get done early today, I'll be like, yeah, right. We realize that salt, uh, you're on your way to, to take mom out to lunch, wherever it is you're going. Maybe you go to the Mexican restaurant down the street. I don't know. You're going to sit down. They're going to bring you a bowl of chips and salsa, right? Or maybe you're going to go to a place where they give you popcorn or pretzels. Or when you used to go to your favorite steakhouse here in town, they give you a bowl of peanuts. They do this on purpose. Because the salt in these foods, it, it, it makes you thirsty. When you're thirsty, you buy drinks, lots of drinks. And, and drinks have the highest margin in a restaurant. So they want you to buy the drinks. So they give you the salt. Salt's cheap. More margin on the other end. Salt creates longing. Longing that only the living water can quench. A spiritual thirst within us that only God can fulfill. We read about this in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She just keeps coming back into our conversations. I so wish she had a name, but she was thirsty. She was unfulfilled, and Jesus offers her living water. Do we live a life that creates thirst in others? Jesus says we're salt. Do we create thirst? What thirst do we create? What do we make people long for? It's a great question. It may actually reveal where it is that we land on our evangelism scale. Salt makes us thirsty, but salt also preserves. It, it keeps, or it still keeps, food from spoiling. Canning, if, you ever, if you're into canning, canning involves sodium. It keeps food fresh. We are called to preserve, to preserve our witness, to preserve our testimony of God's working in our lives, of his love for us. In a society that's ever evolving or, or devolving or eroding, the preservation of the life we're called to live is more important than ever. Now, this doesn't mean we cling to the methods, but rather we preserve the message. We best do this by yoking ourselves to Jesus, this zugos, which Jesus invites us to join him in. We preserve the message. We model as he models. See, Jesus saw the crowd and he added flavor. Who's the flavor? Us. We're the workers. So the story comes full circle. Ask the Lord to send to send you, 
wherever he can use you to be salt, as Jesus aptly named us in Matthew chapter 5, to, to go with his leading into a world that needs him. Jesus looked at the crowd and saw them, and he intercedes to preserve them, to protect them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Take on Jesus' easy yoke. Follow his example as he leads us. <laughs> this is a beautiful part. We're called to follow him. He doesn't just send us out of the field. He goes with us. Yoke to Jesus. He takes us where he wants us to go so that we can be salt to those who need a little bit of flavor in their lives. Open our eyes, Jesus, so that we can see. I want us to see the spiritual. I want us to, to see the, the, the faces. I want us to see the need. I want us to learn names. I want us not to be afraid to ask, where my, may God send Here's your homework this week. If homework the last three weeks, hopefully you're keeping up with it. If not, you can get online. You can find it. You can start today. Here's our homework. The first thing is open your eyes. Open your eyes. Ask God to open your eyes and see the spiritual reality around us, to see the needs around us. Reflecting on Elijah's prayer in 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elijah asked God to open his servant's eyes, I pray this week that God would open our eyes together. So in boldness, we might ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to see behind this veil of the physical world and to recognize with heavenly eyes the doors that God's opening for you and for me. Be salt. The second thing I want us to do is to raise our temperature. Identify one, where we're first, identify where we're at on, on our scale. Are we a two? Are we a one? Or maybe we're not even on the scale yet. We can begin this week by getting on there, by choosing to do something. And taking one practical step to raise it by one degree. Maybe we begin to pray. Maybe it's time in proximity. Maybe it's choosing to show up Friday and serving. Maybe it's spending time in God's word. Whatever step God might, God might be putting on your heart, choose to do it. Raise your temperature by one degree. And then share what happened. Here's what I believe. When we choose to, when we choose to, we'll allow God to open our eyes and to see God's faithful. These are his fields. He knows what the need is. And that's a prayer that I believe he will always, always answer. Maybe not in ways that we could think of or imagine. God will always send his workers, those who are willing to go into his field, to be salt, to, to share a little bit, to, to bring this living water. So the idea of, of water and weeds in this context of getting dirty, of, of planting, the water is what the world needs, and we get an opportunity to share. The weeds are within us. We pull weeds. Oh, it's so easy to pull others' weeds, right? We can identify their weeds. This week, it's to look inside of us. What weeds might we need to pull? What weeds are in the way from us seeing people the way God wants us to see them? Pull the weeds and watch what God does. Stand with me, please. I'm going to let you out of here in time. You, you, you can beat the Baptist to the steakhouse today. How about that? All right. You can get there in time for brunch. It's still early enough for breakfast. Hope you celebrate and enjoy your mothers today. Let them know you love them. Let the one in your life who's been that motherly influence in your life know how much they've meant to you. See people today, church. Can I invite you to do that? One opportunity. See them. But when you do see them, do something about it. Be moved to the compassion of Christ make a difference. Be salt.
and share your story. Father, thank you. You call us salt. The salt of the earth is what you refer to us as. As those who call themselves disciples, who believers in Christ, followers of you, we are called the salt of the earth today. Help us not to miss that. That's a title, it's a name that you give us. It's not just a name we wear as, as a badge of honor. It, it's a descriptor. It, it's a name we're given because of who, how we're identified, because of who we are, of whose we are. Lord, I pray this morning you would give new meaning to that name. We would see, Lord, the world as you see it, through heavenly eyes. Lord, we would also at the same time recognize that you don't send us blindly or all alone into different fields. You go with us, surrounded by these chariots of fire, this army of the Lord. We don't have to be afraid or intimidated. We don't have to, Lord, think that this is too big for us. It is too big for us. That's why you go with us. Lord, I pray we would push aside the excuses, be willing to pull the weeds in our lives, we'd open our eyes and see as you see. God, I believe that is that act alone is so transformative. It would change us so quickly. It would change how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we treat one another. It would change how we drive and how we fly. Give us, Lord, the eyes to see the crowds. Might we be moved by the needs we see in them? Recognize the overlap and the hope that our stories can bring. We are sent people. Lord, I ask today that you would send me. And may your church be bold enough this morning, Lord, to pray the same prayer. That's an invitation of Jesus. To pray. To ask where might we fit? How might we love? God, how might we grow your kingdom and bring you glory? Lord, we love you today. Thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship together. Now, Lord, as we go, help us to recognize, see as you see. In Jesus' name, we ask these things this morning. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. So glad you chose to worship with us today.